Oh man, you had me when you got me with the Rakim. Hey, <laughs> when you got me with LL, <laughs> you got me, and I was like, now that's <laughs> hey, hey, that was awesome. Welcome to After the Last Dance. My name is Tate Frazier, and I am joined, as always, with the kid, BJ Armstrong. And today is a very special edition of After the Last Dance because we have the director, a six-time Emmy winner, a guy that has directed things like Andre the Giant, ESPN, uh, 30 for 30's Fab Five, and, of course, he is the director of a small little film, uh, The Last Dance, that just came out on Sunday. Jason, welcome to the program. Welcome to Pushing. Thanks for having me, guys. Been looking forward to this. Oh, we're very excited, and I know BJ is beaming right now because BJ obviously was a part of this process. So we're gonna <laughs> we're we're gonna get into the, the the whole process of the last dance. Uh, before we get into that, I want to talk about the 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 move of the schedule, the the push to get this documentary out. Uh, you know, a lot of people have taken credit for that. LeBron James is one of those people that said, you know, he wa- he wanted the doc to come out. Um, what what did you have to say to those people that were demanding the doc? Were you upset or or, or were you okay with that? Were you ready to get it out to the world? Oh, we felt we felt the same way internally. We wanted the same thing because the shutdown was was uh, like the 12th or the 13th of March. Mm-hmm. And right away, we all looked around at each other like we have a few done already. Um, so you can't release the, the, the few that like, we could have released it on sem- Sunday, March 15th. Mm-hmm. But then you would have had to wait two months to see the rest of them. And, and quickly that week, I think the next week we had conversations with ESPN and Netflix and Michael's team in the NBA to say like, we all agreed, let's get this out um, as it became clear there was going to be no other programming. So let's let's find a way to entertain some people when we're all stuck at home. And then it was just a matter of like, all right, when is the last one going to be done, 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 ready for air? And that was May 15th. So we said, all right, let's back time from there. Do we want to go 10 weeks in a row and do 10, mm-hmm. one episode a week? Do we want to go uh, two weeks with five episodes per week? So Sunday through Thursday night the middle two weeks of, of May. And then uh, eventually everybody settled on five weeks in a row um, for two episodes a week, starting on April 19th. You know, Jason, um, you know, I have so many questions here because, you know, I played with Michael, I know Michael, mm-hmm. and, you know, I have such mixed emotions because, you know, it's one thing when someone, you work with someone, then all of a sudden that person becomes your friend. From your experience in doing this, because Michael's a very private person, as I'm sure you are aware of, and all of us that know him, what was it like getting him to open up to do a project like this? Well, I credit his team, Esty Portnoy and, and Curtis Polk, um, very early on. Once it was, once the job was offered to me, and it was clear that if it was going to happen, I was going to be the director. Because for for two years this thing didn't even reach the starting line, let alone the finish line. It took four years to reach the finish line. And you could argue it took 22 years to reach the finish line (laughs) when they shot the footage. But um, SD said that, you know, in order for you to have a rapport with Michael, we need to get you in front of him. He needs to get to know you. He needs to get to trust you and feel safe enough that he can be open in these interviews because they understood that a 10 hour doc, it can't just be like the kind of answers you would give in a quick pregame interview in the locker room you know, mm-hmm. before game goes on, this has to be like a deep dive. And mm-hmm. he was only committed to two interviews contractually. Um, 
So when we went in, I'm thinking like, how am I going to do this with just two interviews? We interviewed Vince McMahon for five hours for the Andre the Giant documentary. And that was like an 80 minute documentary. And Vince wasn't even the main character. I mean, he was the main living character really. But um, so five hours for, for an hour and a half, you do the math on that. And it's like, we needed Michael for days on end. And it was like, all right, how are we going to get, you know, I, I normally, it, it's normally for me an hour per page of questions. And I was going into these interviews, BJ, yours is among them with like a dozen pages. Right. And when, I was not going to sit there from 7am to 7pm. But um, so they got me in front of him very early in the process. September 2017 is when I first met him. And then um, June of 2018 is when we first rolled cameras. So by the time we sat down, uh, he knew me and he knew my vision for the project. And he knew that he was, you know, I told him it was going to be an honest telling of the story, comprehensive telling of the story, but it was going to be responsible and not salacious and not gratuitous. And, and we were asking the right questions and doing the right research. So, um, yeah, I, 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 you know, I, I think it was you or I know it was another gentleman named Jason that was working on the project, right? Jake. Yeah, Jake. Yeah, yeah, Jake. And I remember when Jake called me to do the interview. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it was Jake who called me to to do the to initially do the interview. And I get a call and Jake calls and says, hey, we're doing this documentary. And I was like, OK, great. And my immediate reaction was and I wanted to share this with you because I, I didn't. It was really funny. And I'm thinking about it. You know, mm -hmm. when he called me. I said, well, if Michael is doing an interview then he would call me and ask me personally. Oh yeah, I remember you told me. <laughs> because, you know, that's our guy. That's, here we are 35 years later and nothing has ever come out of that locker room. Yeah. And if Michael was doing something of this magnitude, I know he would have called me. <laughs> and that was my immediate reaction to that. I was like, okay, yeah, someone may be doing an interview, but if Michael wasn't really involved, he would call me because that's, <laughs> that's how we are. And I wanted to say that to you here because, you know, that's who we were as a team yeah. and no one talks. Michael didn't talk. We didn't talk. And no. it was so important for him to call. And he called immediately. And that's when I knew, oh, this is serious because he never calls and asks for anything, especially yeah. something like that. You were one of the first guys that we called. And if I recall, well, it feels like a hundred years ago, but right. that, you were a little bit elusive. <laughs> um, it's surprising now because you're so, you're honestly one of the MVPs of the entire doc. Oh, stop it. Stop it. As it goes on. But, um, but you were, that's how I knew. I said to Jake, like, he's going to be great because he wants to protect, like, he's not going to go do this. He's not looking to get, just get his face in front of a camera and talk out of school. He respects Michael enough that he wants to know that this is the real deal. A lot of people had that that feeling too. Um, so very early on in the process, you know, no one's picking up the phone for us. Right. When we call you guys. It's like, oh, you did the Andre the Giant documentary? Good, enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> but Esty and Michael and Curtis um, crafted this letter um, that's that they sent out to all of you guys that we could, along with, I think they said, expect a call from Jason and his team. Sure. Book an interview. And we sent probably 150 of those letters you know, and then some people like Obama and Clinton, they're not even getting that letter. That's, I don't know how they swung that, but we were given a number, like they've agreed to do it. That's like next level booking. That, that's like- uh, I can only oh, imagine. That comes from, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the, the booking process alone, 
like you could make a doc about the making of this doc and, and it would be it would be really interesting just the amount of uh, peaks and valleys but the booking process alone was a full-time job yeah um, no, that, I, I just that was my initial reaction and uh i'm laughing about it now because i was like you know michael would never do anything like this yeah. and he called and i was like i was just so shocked because you know, I knew then when he does call and we, we must have talked and laughed and did our, you know, what have you. But for him to do this, I knew it was something big and it was something special. But what I remember, well, he was just telling me that he thought it was time. And, hmm. you know, he thought it was time to share with the world, the next generation of who he really is, was, and... um it's a story that needed to be, to be told. And I think if it's going to be told, I think he needs to tell it, right? Um, all of us are trying to find ways to describe this magnificent player, right? He was, he was an artist because he was playing the game with such a creative imagination that we hadn't seen before. And then he had this incredible drive and spirit. But um, the one thing that we all knew about him is that the respect that he had for that locker room and the community space that we all, you know, we, we cherish that space in the locker room. And he was always very respectful to the team. Uh, we knew about that Jordan character. We knew he was a star among stars. But the thing that we all knew was that he loved being one of the guys. He's a gym rat. Yeah, he's one of the guys. He's, he's like a great basketball or fundamentally sound basketball player who was just trapped at this, in, who was trapped in this incredibly athletic body, right? You know, he, he just, he was one of the guy. I mean, our fun, you know, we had so much fun in the locker rooms. We had so much fun on the plane. We had so much fun, you know, on the bus rides after a win on the road. And you'll and, see that you, you'll see. Some yeah. Those, those were the best. Those are the only times that I miss. The, the only time, the only thing that I miss more than anything with him is because he was always the last guy on the bus yeah. is one <laughs> on the road. He would always come in if we won, especially if we won and he would come in on the bus and he would talk so much trash to everybody <laughs> about them or about the opponent, the opponent. He talked trash <laughs> to you. He just, I mean, that's just who he was. You know, he was, he is this character. He would, he would go fast and then, you know, Phil would always sit in the front seat and he would make fun of Phil and he would make fun of this guy and he was talking trash. and he always had this energy and, you know, about him. And then, we got to get the cards and we got to play cards. We can only play for five minutes and we got to play cards. And then we get, so. Uh, can I swear on this? Yes. Uh, yes. Relentless shit talker and relentless. <laughs> I'll tell you two two instances. I wish we could find a way to put it in, in the show, but because um, we have it on tape. But one of our cameramen has, his calves are huge. It looks like if you cut two footballs in half and put them in your, and he can jump. He's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a white kid, but he can dunk him. <laughs> He's in his thirties now, but I've known this guy, John, uh, I've known him since he was like 21, 22. And he's, he's a, a good ball player, but one of those guys that like they can jump and, and that's their claim to fame. So we, we cut cameras and you see John pass in front of the camera and, and back and forth. You just see his like midsection. Cause he's walking in front of me between me and Michael. And we're talking about the, the some people had Jordans on and I was like, your favorite ones, your favorites are the 11s. Right. And we're talking about the 11s, the threes, whatever. And, and John's a sneakerhead. So right. I was like, look at John's over here. He's like, the sevens, you got those sevens, huh? And John's like, yeah. And he's walking away. He's like, you got big calf muscles. You play football. <laughs> and John goes, basketball. And he goes, big, slow, white kid. Man. <laughs> <laughs>
And Michael laughed too. <laughs> this is like, walked in as like a god on earth 30 minutes before that. And now he's just one of the guys. He's got that right. career. But like he's just sitting there. All of a sudden we're shooting the shit. And he's just a guy who likes to talk yeah. trash. Yeah. Another competition thing is this is the second time that I met him ever. And we went from uh, his hotel in Midtown Manhattan to we're going to the Jordan brand classic at Barclays, the high school All-American thing. Mm -hmm. So we get into um, an SUV and he barely knows me. And we've discussed that we're going to have to get into gambling stuff. We're going to have to get into some of the more controversial topics. So we sit down in the SUV and a driver takes off. And he says, I bet you we see 10 pairs of Jordans out the window on the way. <laughs> That's him. <laughs> there was nothing on the line. There was, no, there was no money on the line. There wasn't like, there wasn't even 10 bucks, let alone a million bucks. It was just, I bet you I'm going to be 100%. Jason, that's that's him. He's yeah. going to find some way to make it competitive. Uh, it's it's like ball busting, shit talking, or competition <laughs> all the time. So when we when the headlines come out, like oh, Michael Jordan's afraid he's going to come off as a horrible person and all that, like he certainly has has misgivings and reluctance about letting this raw footage get out there. But I think he knows, and I think he trusted us enough that no one's going to think that he's a horrible guy unless they really truly want to feel that way about him by the time this series is over. I think you're going to see sides of Michael Jordan that, that really humanize him. And some of those sides that we see, Jason, some of the, like the human versions of MJ, you'll see him in these scenes and he'll be talking about a situation like when he was at North Carolina and he's talking about being a freshman and he's on campus for the first time and he's sort of giving you like those coach speak MJ classic answers like, you know, I love my time at North Carolina, all this sort of stuff. And then you give him the iPad and the iPad is like a gateway into his actual emotions because then you show him the video of his mom, Dolores, and Dolores yeah. is, you know, talking about the letter and talking about how he needs stamps and he needs money. He's giving his account info. And you see Jordan kind of like break from that, you know, usually standard MJ to just be a Mike and he's kind of laughing at it. And he's like classic college kid, you know, and you yeah. see him break a little bit. Yeah, there were there were two ways that we employed those like in, in the body yeah. of, of the interview. Sorry, my dog just sat on the remote and turned the ticket. <laughs> <laughs> so the impetus behind the, the iPad was that he doesn't know me and he's he's heard every single question that I'm going to ask him hundreds, thousands of times sometimes. Mm -hmm. So what's a way to bring the real Michael out um, that I can't bring out that as a guy who doesn't really know him well at all? And he's kind of, he's almost programmed at this point just to, to just answer the question the way that you would answer any press conference question and move on. So to get this visceral reaction out of, that, out of him, the honest reaction, I wanted him to hear people saying what they were saying, you know, straight from the horse's mouth and as if they were in the room and he was having a conversation with them rather than me saying, hey, well, Isaiah said this is the reason why they walked off in 91 after the sweep. Well, how about I just show you what Isaiah said in our interview with him and you mm -hmm. respond directly to Isaiah mm -hmm. or directly to how you feel. Gary Payton says that if he was guarding you from game one in the 96 finals, it would have been a different series. <laughs> I want to see your reaction to that if Gary was in the room. And that's one of my favorite It's in episode eight. Um, and then his mom, like he lights up off camera. If you talk about his family at all, his brothers, his sisters, his parents, obviously his dad, but his mom is like, he talks to his mom every day right. on the phone. He told me he calls her every day. Um, so instead of me saying, hey, your mom told me that you barely had $20 to your name when you were at UNC, I'm sure he'd be like, yeah, man, that was a long time ago. But to stop the interview and give him that and, and kind of bring his mom into the room, 
um, it just seemed like a better way to elicit that emotion. The other thing is kind of like, it's, it's what I call the kid in church method. So if you have like a little toddler in church, you got a toy for them every once in a while to keep them occupied. Mm-hmm. And three hours is a long time for anyone to sit there and answer questions. And you could start to see him drift sometimes. And maybe like his voice gets a little lower and you just kind of, that's when I would pull that out and be like, well, hey, look at this. And he would pop right back up. You could see it sometimes. Like there's a Reggie Miller clip I showed him the, the the fight with him and Reggie Miller, and it's like, boom, he's back. It's like a time <laughs> face is right back in it. And when he sees, you know, certain faces, Isaiah and Gary Payton and these guys, he really wants to see what they say. There's an episode ten thing that we use in the final ten minutes of the show. It's the last time he looks at a, at the iPad, and I'm not going to tell you who it was or what they said, but it's one of my favorite moments in the entire series, and I think everyone's going to be talking about it uh, the day after the final show airs. So. It paid huge dividends. It was, I think the production people were a little confused when I said we need a, an iPad Pro, the biggest one we can get. Right. Um, but it paid huge dividends for us. Could you share the relationship that maybe Jordan had with, because there were two people, there were at least in the first two episodes, there were his parents, clearly. Mm-hmm. Anyone that has had an opportunity to meet Miss Jordan, and, and, and Mr. Jordan, I knew Mr. Jordan as well. And then could you talk about the relationship that he had with Coach Smith, Coach Dean Smith? Yeah, um, Mrs. Jordan is, is um, we interviewed 106 people and I was just saying to Michael's son, Marcus, uh, he texted me after the, the premiere and I said that your grandmother was the most impressive person that we interviewed in the entire, you're number two, BJ, but she was <laughs> He is at heart, he's a country kid yep, and he's from this really tight family that came from the country in, in rural North Carolina. I mean, they moved to Wilmington, which isn't exactly rural, but he spent a lot of time in the country at his grandparents' house. He was born right here in Brooklyn. And then, and then as a toddler moved back down there. So he's a country kid. You hear it come out every once in a while. Yep, you yep, know yep. This. Yeah, there's yes. like, there's like two Michaels. There's the, there's the press conference, Michael. And then there's the Michael who sounds like That's he's right. from the country in North Carolina. Um, Dean Smith, his relationship with, with Coach Smith, you know, 10 hours, it's absurd to say, well, we didn't have enough time to get to this, it's 10 hours, but it just shows you the, the depth and the breadth of the characters that came into his life. And Coach Smith is a second father to him, as he said in the show, but what we didn't get time to, to tell were some of the stories about how Coach Smith molded him um, as a disciplinarian, how he molded Michael. Coach Smith, he said to this day, you know, Coach Smith is no longer with us, obviously, but he said, I never called him Dean. Whenever I saw him, Coach Smith, and even this is when this is when he's in '98, he still called him Coach Smith. Other people would call him Dino and stuff and guys, but but the, I think he said, um, was it Doug Moe? No, somebody somebody called him Dino, but everybody else was like Coach Smith, no matter what. And if you're Michael Jordan, you still have that kind of reverence for somebody and show you the impact that guy had in your life. He told a story about how Coach Smith never cursed. Yes, and his freshman year, he missed a shot in practice and said, damn. And Coach Smith made him wear a weighted vest and run steps for the rest of the practice, just for wow. saying, damn. Mm-hmm. He said he never swore in front of him again for the rest of his life. And you know how Michael curses, he never cursed in front of him. <laughs> you know, Jason, um, that's a great story. And you know, I don't know if they'll show it, but before the game, Michael would always kind of, you know, he kind of had, you know, he would get his space, right? In the training room and he would get in his zone, his space and everyone had a different routine. And I'll never forget it. Uh, it was like 91, 92, somewhere around there. 
and someone came in and, and he, always there was someone who wanted to meet Michael, right? Stop in and say hello before the game. Yeah. And he would kind of raise his head up. I was getting taped or something. He was like, ah, I, I'll catch him after the game. And someone knocked on and said, Coach Dean Smith is here. He jumped off of that table <laughs> so fast, Jason. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time that I saw this like kid. Like, yeah. I saw, you know, like, Here's Air Jordan, you know, but he's like, whatever, man. Like, tell him how he jumped up and he said, hold on, I have to get dressed for really? Mr. Smith. That's cool. He gets off of the training table, gets on his uniform, and when Dean Smith walked in, I can't tell you the respect that he had for that man. I believe you. It wasn't like, I played for coach, how you doing? It was like, Mr. Smith. It was, it was like you saw someone straighten up and was sitting at attention because of the respect that he had. And I also, Scott Williams was there too, mm -hmm. and who played for North Carolina. And that's when I first got a taste of like, Coach Smith is something different. Yeah. I don't know what it was, but there was a level of respect that I've never seen Michael interact with anyone than Mr. Smith. <laughs> and I was like, Wow. James Worthy and Buzz Peterson were interviewed um, and Roy Williams. Anyone from that Carolina family, when you when you speak about Coach Smith, there's like the air gets sucked out of the room. And yes. all of a sudden, it's like, it's like there in spirit. It, it, it's uh, it's really powerful. And it, that's there's a few people that I really wish and all of them would have been prominent figures in the first episode that I wish I could have sat down and spoken to. Jerry Krause, James Jordan, and Dean Smith would have been huge figures in that first episode because in a lot of ways, you know, certainly James Jordan and Dean Smith shaped Michael and, and the way that Krause, this certainly wasn't by design on Jerry's part, but the extent to which he motivated Michael, you could argue is the reason why those, those. I uh, think, heard. you know, what's really stood out and uh, you did a great job. He said, uh, Mr. Jordan's interview said, if you really want to get the best out of my son. Well, that my favorite part. And that caught tell my him. attention. That tell caught my him. attention. Yeah, just tell him he can't do it. And for all of us who know him, just tell him right now that he can't do it. <laughs> and what better tribute to pay to his dad than going to play baseball after his dad died? What embodies that quote more than that? Mm -hmm. That was, that, that's it, that's it. Episode seven, stay tuned. <laughs> oh. it's gonna be a good one and uh yeah i mean jason we appreciate you coming on pushing through we appreciate you uh obviously breaking down all this stuff for us we're, we're gonna be tuned in for all this stuff i just want to mention one last thing you talked about dean smith and the impact i'm from north carolina uh, I grew up, my, I went to North Carolina, my mom went to North Carolina, she was there in 1982 in Keenan Stadium when little freshman Mike Jordan spoke to the crowd that we saw the footage of and she's, she was <laughs> like, when, when, yeah, she was there, my, my mom and my dad were there and they said when they saw that, everyone, James Worthy's the star, you know, everyone's waiting to see big game James, he's going to go up there and hold court and then little Michael comes up there and he's just kind of shy and, you know, you saw after he hit the shot, I told BJ in, in the post game interview, He's, you know, just kind of like, I'm, I'm so happy I hit the shot. Because he, he talks so much because he's a little guy. You know, he has that mentality almost. And then he grew so much. And then he had always talked the, the talk. And then he and he hit it. He hit the shot. And then now he was that person. And my mom and dad, they were just like, when you saw Mike, you, you saw it was the first time he saw the bright lights. And uh, he said it, you know, that, that his career went from there. And he knew he was going to be epic. And it's it's a beautiful story it's almost like a movie um and now 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 it's a documentary now it basically is a movie <laughs> we had a piece of footage that um 
that didn't make it into to that first cut. It was it was in, in Paris. Peter Vesey comes up to him. Mm-hmm. And you almost can't hear it. We had it in an early, early cut. We had to subtitle it. Yeah. He says, hey, um, if Phil's going to be gone next year, we know that. If Dean Smith came to coach the Bulls, would you play for Dean Smith? And Michael was like, yes. But that's like <laughs> third. But yeah, that, 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 that's that's the only person he would even consider. And it was so far off the table that it was it was clear that this this was going to be all over. But yeah, it's um, I wish we could have done, and I'm sure you do too, Tate. Wish we could have done two hours on just his UNC experience. But, oh, yeah. it was great though. Even though I will say this, James Worthy. I know he said in the documentary that two weeks in, Jordan was already better than him. That's a lie. He was not. <laughs> he said that he's being nice. He's um, just being nice. <laughs> well, Jason, we want to thank you so much for coming on. It was a pleasure and an honor, and I can't tell you, uh, it's so much joy. It's bringing to everyone around the world, and yep. uh, we really appreciate it. Thank you for uh, taking care of my friend, right? And because uh, that's how it feels, you know. I know he's Air Jordan, to everyone else, but uh, I'll always remember that. I was like, wait a minute, he would call me if <laughs> he really wanted me to do that. And uh, thank you so much. I know he's very proud of it. And, uh, you know, all of us who played with him and are, are part of it, it's our pleasure. And thank you again. Thank you. Yeah.